That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. One of the main things that we work on at the Telehealth Center is supporting longevity and people that are interested in optimizing longevity and energy levels. And you really can't talk about longevity without talking about something called mitophagy, which is basically mitochondrial autophagy. Autophagy, if you're new to this, it's cellular recycling. It's basically our body's natural anti-accelerated aging pathways that we want to be optimizing within patient protocols. And mitophagy is specifically optimizing your mitochondria, your cellular energy factories. And up until now, there haven't been very many supplements on the market to support mitophagy or the flushing out of old damaged mitochondria. When I discovered a new compound called urolithin A, I was extremely intrigued. It's derived from pomegranates, but it's very hard, nearly impossible to eat or drink enough pomegranates to get the scientifically proven therapeutic dose that's in the scientific literature. This is where a product called MitoPure from Timeline Nutrition comes in. They've created three unique ways to get your daily dose of 500 milligrams, that's how much you need to get, of urolithin A, this postbiotic in their product called MitoPure. They've got a delicious vanilla protein powder that combines muscle building protein with the cellular energy of MitoPure. They also have a berry powder that mixes very easily into smoothies or just about any drink and also the soft gels for traveling. I honestly love the soft gels when I'm in between consulting patients if I can't like make a drink. I love the, the convenience of the soft gels. MitoPure is the first product to offer a precise dose of urolithin A, this special compound, this postbiotic, to upgrade your mitochondria function, increasing your cellular energy, and improve muscle strength and endurance. I've noticed such a difference when I'm working out, the amount of strength and endurance I'm gaining. Timeline is offering 10% off your first order of MitoPure. Go to TimelineNutrition.com slash Will Cole. Use code Will Cole to get 10% off your first order. That's T-I-M-E-L-I-N-E-N-U-T-R-I-T-I-O-N.com slash Will Cole. TimelineNutrition.com slash Will Cole. I recommend trying the starter pack with all three formats. Hi, it's Dr. Will Cole. This podcast is the manifesto for a new breed of health seekers. This is the art of being well. What's up and welcome to the art of being well. 
I am a leading functional medicine doctor. I get to consult people around the world via webcam, and I'm a New York Times bestselling author. I wrote Intuitive Fasting, The Inflammation Spectrum, Ketotarian, and my newest book, Gut Feelings. If you want to learn more about my clinical work, the Telehealth Center, we actually have brand new telehealth patient options now open and lots of free resources there for you as well. You can check it all out at drwillcole.com. That's D-R-W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E.com. And listeners of The Art of Being Well, we're giving away free signed books. No matter when you listen to this episode, all you have to do for a chance to win is head on over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review The Art of Being Well there. Tell us what you love about the show. You can leave your Instagram handle in the Apple Podcast review itself, or you can take a screenshot of that review and message me with that review on Instagram at Dr. Will Cole. And every single month, my team and I will be going through the messages on Instagram, as well as the Apple Podcast reviews themselves, and randomly picking winners every single month. I'll reach out to you. I'll ask which book you want me to sign, and then we'll send it out to you. All right, good luck. Let's get to today's guest. Her name is Dr. Caroline Leaf. She is a longtime friend and colleague of mine. She's been on the podcast before. This is going to be a next level conversation. Dr. Caroline Leaf is a communication pathologist and clinical neuroscientist specializing in psychoneurobiology. Her passion is to help people see the power of the mind to change the brain, control chaotic thinking, and find mental peace. She's the author of the best-selling books, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, Switch On Your Brain, Think and Eat Yourself Smart, The Perfect You, Think, Learn, Succeed, and her brand new book, How to Help Your Child Clean Up Their Mental Mess, A Guide to Building Resilience and Managing Mental Health. She's also the author of the top-rated podcast, Cleaning Up the Mental Mess, which has over 40 million downloads. Let's get right to it. This is Dr. Caroline Leaf's Art of Being Well. My friend, welcome back to the podcast. It's always great to, to catch up with you. It's always great catching up with you, Will. And hopefully one of these days we'll do this in person. You know, we keep interviewing each other and talking and doing things and it's time to meet in person. <laughs> I, I know it. It's been too long. And I know it's been the pandemic and then busyness with all the all of our work. <laughs> and as we started saying before we pressed record is this is like books and podcasts are not our day job. No. <laughs> so we have patients and research, <laughs> clinical stuff to deal with too. So this new book of yours is brilliant. It's going to help so many people out. How, how did the idea come about? How long did you know this book was in you and it needed to come out into the world? Oh, thanks for asking that question. And thank you for, I, I thought this would connect with you because, you know, your latest book as well, which is brilliant. You know, you're really touching on the importance of mind, which I really appreciate with your work. You know, this is, I put four of my own kids, as you know, well, and they're all adults now, but, and I worked for years in my practice, uh, probably 30%, 40% of my practice were children between the ages of two and 10. And so I've, I've been doing this for years and I've written books for children before and, you know, for parents, for children and so on. But I've never done it to this extent. And just the mm -hmm. current crisis in mental health and the way it's been handled, I think that's probably the main motivator is the way that mental health has been spoken about and handled when it comes to children and adults. But it's really mm -hmm. concerning with children because they're growing up with a kind of a zeitgeist around them that I don't think is the healthiest and it's mm -hmm. not going to help them. So that was very much a driver. And then also parents. I mean, it's hard to be a parent. It's, it's hard to be 
uh, to be a parent in this day and age with all the you know pair of perfect parenting influencer type stuff and you know it's messy parenting is very normal and and i just felt parents need to be equipped to be able to manage their own mental health and the mental health of help their children with their mental health mm-hmm. i mean people know maybe abstractly mental health issues are people here the epidemic rise of mental health issues especially amongst children of all ages but what are the latest statistics like what are kids faced with as far as brain health issues well if we have a look there's a lot of different statistics and they're all very scary but what they basically seeing like globe for example global surveys that are done pretty about every couple of years they look at mental health of countries sort of countrywide comparisons and generally adults come fair worse than children but that's swapped in the last couple of years and that's quite interesting and also the young the young ages so we're seeing children as young as two being diagnosed with pediatric bipolar which is really crazy because mm-hmm. pediatric bipolar is not even a fixed diagnosis it's a description it's not a thing and you can't diagnose that in a child of two but we've seen that kind of thing we've seen children as young as four and eight trying to uh, die by suicide you know so when a society has children that are wanting to you know kill themselves at that young age we have to look at what society's doing and then you, mm-hmm. you know, just the increase in the prevalence of children being labeled with things like ADHD and that amount of teenagers that are getting labeled with even with multiple diagnoses and polypharmacy on multiple drugs and going into adulthood with this thing that there's something wrong with me with my brain that is a tremendous concern so that so the statistics are a little bit different all over the place but in in general they're talking about it as being like a pandemic literally the rise in mental health and it's scaring people because it's you know what's going on you can't just suddenly have like a covid virus that's getting your brain and you know catching you it's it's not a viral thing but yet it sounds like a virus but it's not a virus so we have to look at what are the causes why do we have this rise and what does it mean and you know this is also part of why I wrote this book is to try and demystify scary things yeah so let's demystify they can read the book for the full depth the deep dive of what what we're talking about and what to do about it. And I know this is a complex topic, you know, a big a big question with big answers, but what are the main causes? Like why are we seeing this shift and rise of this brain health pandemic? So the first thing is to to understand that the languaging around mental health has changed. And over the last 40 years, 50 years it's it's gone from being a response a human response to adverse circumstances to being a symptom of a disease so that's for me the, um, and not for just myself but colleagues and people in the field if you look at and track the research that has happened over the last few years and how patterns have changed we see that the the way that mental health is viewed has influenced the is a, is a huge factor in influencing the rise in the mental health crisis so for example if you are looking at a child who's battling to concentrate and battling to focus and is having behavioral issues at school and maybe at home they're being difficult and it's a pattern if you go to a doctor now your your primary care physician most likely they'll just say hey listen this is sounds like a, a pediatric depression let's send you to a psychiatrist and you're going to get a label that's kind of how it's being handled now but if you backtrack 40 years ago and and you've had those issues you would chat with your teacher you chat with your primary care physician and they a whole team approach would come into place to say let's talk about what's going on in the child's life let's get with a a group of specialists which is how i used to, you know work when i was practicing and let's discuss the child's story so we've shifted from looking at the whole child the whole person whether they're an adult whatever age 
in the circumstances to just looking at the symptom with the objective of diagnosing, labeling, and eliminating the symptoms. Now, you as a functional medicine doctor know that that's also a very bad approach to medicine. You know, it's 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 not a and I say bad approach. It's not the it's not enough. You you need to look at symptoms, but you've got to look much deeper than just at the surface symptoms. So we already know medicine's shifting, but when it comes to mental health, that model doesn't work at all well. You can't look at a symptom and attach a label and a diagnosis. It makes something too complex, too simple. And we've done that now for the past 40, 50 years. And all the research is saying it hasn't been a success. It's And so that's the main contributor to the increase is we've got this shift in view, which is over, over-diagnosing and over-labeling and basically pathologizing childhood and medicalizing misery. And that will increase because if you don't, if a child's going through bullying at school, which is why they're showing up with the behavioral symptoms I described and not sleeping and whatever the case may be, and you just say, okay, well, you, they have clinical depression and you medicate them or they have ADHD and clinical depression and you medicate them, you haven't allowed the child to actually process what they're going through. But what you've gone through is inside your mind, brain, body connection. It's part of who you are. It's the reason you're showing up and you can't get, you can't just ignore it. So on by labeling it, you've, you've you haven't fixed the problem, and it's growing like a volcano. And what you've done is assigned another cause to it, which is incorrect. And you've given and you're medicating that cause, so now you've got triple triple problems. And you put that all together, and you send the child the message that hey, there's something wrong with your brain. You know, it doesn't matter about your circumstance. You're not saying that directly, but that's what the messaging is. You're going mm. to have a pandemic. And that's what we see with the statistics, mm. the research and the results and the evidence and all that kind of stuff. Does that make mm. sense? Absolutely. As a functional medicine doctor, you all know my thoughts about alcohol, but I am a pragmatist. I'm a realist, especially for my telehealth patients. Most people are not going to be puritanical teetotalers and never drink. So when I'm thinking about them in mind, after a night with a few drinks, if they're not bouncing back, if they're not feeling good after that, I want to set them up for success. Cbiotics pre-alcohol probiotic is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic product in the gut. It's a toxin, everybody. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Everyone thinks it's because they're dehydrated. Nope, it's not. Zbiotics produces an enzyme to break down this toxic byproduct from alcohol. It's designed to work like your liver, but in your gut where you need it the most. Just remember to drink Zbiotics before drinking alcohol. Drink responsibly, of course. I'm not advocating everybody to go get slushed. Drink responsibly and get a good night's sleep to feel your best tomorrow. But this will be such an effective tool within your toolbox. Go to zbiotics.com slash Will Cole to get 15% off your first order when you use Will Cole at checkout. You can also sign up for a subscription using this special code so you can stay prepared no matter the time or occasion. Zbiotics is backed with a 100% money-back guarantee, so if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember to head to zbiotics.com slash Will Cole. Use code Will Cole at checkout for 15% off. Thank you, Zbiotics, for sponsoring this episode. I have fallen in love with this new protein powder. I can't get enough of it. I would say addicted to it, but I think that 
it has a bad connotation <laughs> in the best of ways. It just tastes so good. I have it every day, but especially I have it after my workouts. But I honestly just use it. I'll have it as like a delicious dessert almost. That's how good it tastes. Usually I find that protein powders have this really annoying, gross, chalky aftertaste. You all know what I'm talking about, right? But this protein powder from Clean Simple Eats, man, you have to check this out. It is so different. It's creamy and smooth with absolutely zero chalkiness. Each serving contains 20 grams of grass-fed whey protein. The whey is cold processed from start to finish, keeping all the nutrients intact. Their formula also contains a digestive enzyme blend to help break down the protein into usable amino acids and making it very digestible. They have over 22 delicious all-natural flavors. I love the Simply Vanilla one. You can try the other ones for yourself, but I have landed on the Simply Vanilla. I mix it with peanut butter. It tastes like a peanut butter milkshake, everybody. It's so freaking good. But they have tons of other unique flavors as well. You can try 10 different kinds with their protein variety pack. It's only $18 with the code that I'm going to give you. One of the things I love about Clean Simple Eats is their high ingredient standards. Their protein powder is non-GMO, it's gluten-free, it's third-party tested, it's always grass-fed, and made with zero artificial ingredients. Visit cleansimpleeats.com. Use code WILLCOLE at checkout for 20% off your first order. That's 20% off your first order at cleansimpleeats.com. It's cleansimpleeats.com. Use code WILLCOLE for that special discount. So you mentioned trouble sleeping, right? Or in the book, you talk about some warning signs that we need to look out for, whether we're parents or you know anybody in our life. And you also teach us to teach our kids to how to check in with their body and mind. But what are some warning signs we need to look out for? That's an excellent question. And the warning signs, we can even talk about them being signals. So instead of thinking, looking for symptoms of a disease, shift your perspective as a parent, even towards yourself as a human and shift the perspective. So if you have anything that's related to how you're functioning, so whether it's, you know, when I say functioning, in your relationship, work, how you feel when you wake up in the morning, how you're going through your day, instead of thinking, oh gosh, maybe there's something wrong with me, instead of saying that or something wrong with my child, rather say something like, okay, I'm showing up in a certain way with certain signals. What is going on? This is not who I am. This is not how I'm normally, this is not my normal way of sort of approaching life or the normal way that my child normally approaches life. Bearing in mind, we have ups and downs. I'm talking about patterns now. So instead of saying that, that oh gosh, there's something wrong, just say, what is the because of? So what are the signals that are telling me the because of? And the easiest way is to categorize it as I've done the research and the science being done. So all you have to do as a parent or as for yourself or your child both, because we should be working on ourselves while we help our kids, and that's the best way to help our kids, is to look at emotions, behaviors, bodily sensations, and perspectives. So what I've done is taken all the different ways we can show up, categorize those into four signals, look at it very scientifically, and make it very simple. And so you just have to think, okay, let me ask myself, or let me observe my child, let me ask the child. You can you know, initially maybe observe, then maybe discuss with your child, and say, okay, what are the emotions I'm seeing showing up in my child? 
And I've got a, I've actually got the book open in front of me here, so I can always read out a couple of those sort of statements. But what are the emotions like? Are they very sad? Are they very anxious? Are they very worked up? Are they very frustrated? You know, what are the, what are the words? Fine. And don't see those as diseases. See them as emotional signals. Signals mm. give us information. When something signals, it's telling you something. So shift your perspective because what we see from the research and also what happens in your mind and brain and body is that if I look at those emotions as a signal versus as a disease, symptoms of a disease, immediately my whole mind, brain, body relaxes. I go into a more wise state and I'm more mm-hmm. capable of actually supporting myself or my child. So that's really important in terms of how it shifts you towards your child. Your child also will pick up on your anxiety. So if you're seeing it as a symptom of a disease and you're panicking and you try and hide that, they read body language better than an adult. They have way more insight than we give them credit for, even a two and three-year-old. And also they rec- they rec- they respond and very well to authenticity. So it's better for you to say, hey, I see that you're very anxious and you're really worried. And, you know, I'm concerned and I'm your mom and I want to help you. I'm your dad and I want to help you. I'm here for you. So instead of you trying to pretend nothing's wrong or take them to the doctor with this all this unspoken stuff, you're actually acknowledging and also telling them how you feel. So you could say your emotion, I'm worried because I see you worried. So mm-hmm. let's, let's and, and I see you sad and I'm concerned that you said. So emotions is the first one. Second is you could even say to the child or, or through observation or, or you know, whichever level comes first. Sometimes you'll just observe this in your child. Then you'll get to the next stage, which is discussing it with your child. Let's say now they're feeling sad. And then you, you notice also a pattern of, They keep complaining about a sore stomach or they keep complaining about getting headaches or they keep, and it's definitely a pattern at a certain time of the day, that kind of thing. So it seems like this change in emotions has some kind of link inside the body. And Mm -hmm. so you could even say, you know, when you feel sad, do you, where where does it feel like that in your body? And young kids will say, I feel jiggly or something, you know, they'll, they'll give you some kind of, some kind of information. So that, that second signal is what's going on in their body? What is going on in terms of their physical symptoms? What are they complaining about? What's the pattern? The third one, and it doesn't necessarily have to be in this order, just giving it in whatever order, is behaviors. So that's what they say, what they do, and how they're saying and doing it. So that's the sleeping patterns, the communication patterns, how they, you know, withdrawing, frustrating, you know, throwing tantrums in terms of like not wanting, shouting, getting cross, getting upset. So what are they doing? What are they saying? So sometimes it might be easier to say, I see you very upset emotion. I see that you are kicking the seat of my car. You've just picked them up maybe from daycare or something. And I see, and, and you, I see that you're holding your tummy, you know, so you label for them those signals. And this labeling of these signals in these categories is opening up a, and the, your networks of your mind-brain-body connection, your psychoneurobiology. Why do we need to do that? When they open up, we can get more connection, communication. We tune into ourselves. We tune into our child. We open the, the, the doorway for communication, deep meaningful connection, all that kind of stuff. Fourth signal is perspective, how attitude, the, the view that they have on life in that moment and you know, maybe it's in that moment now when you collect them from school, but you see that that's also been an attitude of being negative towards school, the perspective, they don't want to go to school, they don't want to play with that new friend, they don't want to go to the park anymore, they're just going in their room all the time, they seem so withdrawn. So the, the perspective, how do they seem to be looking at life through a very negative lens? So those are the, if, if you break it down to those categories, you won't get muddled with mixing an emotion with a behavior with you want to make sure you hit all the signals so get very organized the more organized you are the more empowered you'll feel to help your child and you're more empowered your child will feel to be able to deal with all the stuff because it's very Mm -hmm. it's easy to label an emotion 
But sometimes emotions get mixed up with behaviors and it becomes chaos. So you want to get order. So order your signals. Get the four categories. Identify. Get a sentence for each. You observe. Discuss it with your child. And that then, that the messaging around the signals will is that you're telling your child, you're telling yourself, you're telling your child, whoever, that this is not who you are. I know who you are. I love you for who you are. You, I recognize who you are, but you're not yourself at the moment. And this is what I'm seeing. What are you, what are you seeing? So let, let's let's see why you're showing up like this. And that's a great way of then diving deeper. Does that make sense? Uh, so you a lot much so. This is so helpful. And now obviously you've written other books about as adults, because these are applicable to- Any age. Uh, any age. If you're an adult to- because what it is, is is body awareness, right? Is rootedness in yourself. What what are the check engine lights that your body's telling you, right? Exactly, exactly that. So the, as a as an adult, we do this too. And in fact, the best way to help your child is for you to help your adult. And I, I mean, for you to help yourself as an adult. And that's yes. a question I get asked a lot. Like I got asked the other day, what would I do? What would be the first thing I'd do for this mental health crisis for children? And I'd say I'd work with the adults. I would educate the adults to understand. Yeah themselves because if you understand yourself you'll model it for your children your children will then see that it's okay to be messy and here's how you manage the messiness of life you know right oh it's so linked right i mean in many ways the kids are just a ripple effect what's going on with kids is a ripple effect of of us as adults right absolutely the children's well-being and children's anxiety levels and children's stress levels are the direct reflection of their teachers their parents the caregivers in their life and mm -hmm. that's what they're looking to us. And it's not that I'm blaming. It's a fact. It's not blaming. I'm a parent myself. But your anxiety, your 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 kids will pick that up. So it's mm -hmm. way better to be honest about this and to say, okay, you know what? I'm really feeling anxious today. Or I'm really feeling off today. I just don't feel myself today. And I'm feeling kind of sad and kind of flat. And it's making me not so perky. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at life's a bit hard for me today. And, I, you know, my shoulders are a bit sore. I've just identified the four signals. And I've modeled for the kids that it's okay to feel mm -hmm. that way. You know, and you've started the process. But we'll, like anything in life, we, we mustn't just start a process. We need to continue through. And what concerns me in this arena of mental health with children is identifying emotions is very commonly talked about. It's something that you can pick up in books at Target, you know, how to help your child identify the emotions. Most people I talk to will say, yeah, I walk, I walk through these emotions with my kids. And that's fantastic. Schools do it. There's programs. Labeling of emotions is not the hard part. The hard part is to link that emotional warning signal to the behaviors, to the perspectives, and to the to the bodily sensation, to create that pattern of mm. what that whole person looks like. And then from there to say, okay, well, why? Mm -hmm. Why? Not just leaving it there, not just saying, okay, well, this is the description. And then if you leave it there, then it goes down the labeling route and the medication route, or maybe not medication always, but in this day and age, that's very standard. And then that doesn't really help the child process. We have mm -hmm. to do more than that. You know, we have to go beyond and we have to say, okay, so this is how you're showing up. Let's try and find out why. And once you find out why, which is source, root, cause, origin, you know, where's this coming from, then we have to get to acceptance because mm -hmm. you can't change what's happened to you. You can't change the, the, the fact that you were bullied. You can't change the bully. You can maybe influence them by the way you react or whatever. You can get support and that kind of thing. You can't change what's happened to you, but you can change what it looks like in your psycho, neurobiological, mind-brain-body network, which then influences how you show up. 
So you don't mm-hmm. have to live in a confusion of showing up in, in chaos. You can deconstruct, demystify the chaos you feel, find a source, get acceptance, and find a way of reconceptualizing to move forward. And that's what we all need as humans. And we need you can teach this to a child as young as two. And that's the other one of the other reasons to go to your very first question about why I wrote this book is because not only do we have to come at it from the side, helping the adult and the old adolescent and older child, we have to come at it from this side and be proactive in helping our young children get the tools to tell their narrative. Mm-hmm. Certainly. And you teach us how to do that so eloquently. You talk about the neurocycle. What is the neurocycle? And you mentioned this, this it's five steps to it. But it's, it's mind management and you teach us how to do it very practically. What's the neurocycle? Absolutely. So the neurocycle is a name that I gave for a concept that I developed like 38 plus years ago. I still do research on it. So it's very scientifically based, very clinically applied. And I've used it in multiple ways with multiple different scenarios with my patients over the years and then adapted it and use it for myself and my kids. And then 38 years later, millions of people, sort of literally hundreds of thousands to a few million people later, the system is being utilized as a way of people managing their mental health. So what it is, it's not a new technique. It's not like cognitive behavior therapy or ACT or psychodynamic therapy or, you know, something. It's all of those still apply. You can use all of those. What I try to find out, well, was in this thing of how I show up and deconstructing and reconstructing, what is actually, how does it, how does stuff get in you in the first place? How do you do that? So it sounds a bit like if you go from signals to the thought and the roots and all that stuff, you reverse engineering. So what are you reverse engineering? You reverse engineering how it got to there in the first place. So how did that actually, that experience get into you in the first place? So the neurocycle looks at the process of how life becomes embodied in our whole mind, brain, body network with mind and brain being two separate things body being the third, three parts, mind, brain, body, and they work together as a network. How did they get there in the first place? How did that, how did, how does a person experience bullying and how does that become part of us? How does experience, how's a person listening to you and I now, and how does it become part of their network? So the neurocycle was birthed out of understanding that process. How do we build memories into thoughts inside of our network? And how does everything that we're exposed to become part of us and then drive how we function as humans? And how can we then look at that and reverse engineer? So that's basically, it's a system that makes your mind, brain, body network work the way it should it should be working. Did you know the active ingredients found in pre-mixed vitamin drinks and kombuchas can diminish sharply over time? But Karma's, you have to check this out, this brand called Karma, their unique push cap protects vitamins and nutrients until you're ready to drink it, ensuring you get the full nutritional benefits of what you're drinking. Karma's new hydration kits combine everything that I love about the brand's ready-to-drink line of functional waters with an enhanced level of convenience and customization. Each kit comes with a four-week supply of Karma push caps. They can be fully customized, and Karma designed a new BPA-free reusable bottle specially designed for its patented push cap. Customers can choose from a combination of Karma's three existing functional lines to create their own customized kit. They have the Karma Wellness Water, which is basically vitamins and minerals. It's a function to basically elevate your water, turning your water into a functional beverage with benefits. So you not only get the benefits of actually drinking water and being hydrated, which is so important. Not enough people are not drinking enough water. Anyways, the Karma Wellness Water, you get some vitamins and minerals to support energy and immune function. They also have the Karma Probiotic Water to get your support your gut health with probiotics in your water. And also, 
the Karma CBD water to get CBD, the functional benefits, the brain supporting benefits, the inflammation supporting benefits of CBD. It supports your endocannabinoid system, your ECS, which is really important for so many different things in your body when it comes to mood and energy and your immune system. Visit drinkkarma.com slash willcole. Use code willcole at checkout for 15% off your first purchase. That's D-R-I-N-K-K-A-R-M-A.com slash W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E. Use code willcole for 15% off your first order. Hair changes can happen due to your age, your biology, stress, lifestyle, so many different variables that we look at for telehealth patients. No matter the root cause of your hair concerns, Nutrafol meets you exactly where you are with science-backed formulas tailored to your needs. While Nutrafol's hair growth and supplements target the root causes of thinning hair from within, Nutrafol's scalp care formulas help create a healthy environment for improved hair quality. Similar to the skin on your face, when your scalp is unbalanced or not cared for regularly with the right products, it can become clogged, dry, and irritated, leading to a poor environment for natural hair growth. Nutrafol shampoo, scalp mask, and scalp essence are each gentle yet effective and work to exfoliate, purify, and balance the scalp for improved hair health. The sulfate and silicone-free shampoo and conditioner are shower essentials designed to cleanse the scalp without stripping and defend the strands for stronger, more voluminous hair. Nutrafol's physician-formulated scalp care products are clinically shown to balance the scalp and visibly improve hair health and strength in just two weeks. Nutrafol supplements are legendary. People love these. I have to say, I look at health histories and what people are taking all the time. Nutrafol, it is ubiquitous to say the least. Take the first step towards improved hair and scalp health right now. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our U.S. listeners $10 off your first scalp care order when you go to Nutrafol.com slash scalp and enter promo code WILLCOLE. Find out why over 4,000 healthcare professionals recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com slash scalp. Enter promo code WILLCOLE for $10 off your first scalp care order. This is available only to U.S. customers for a limited time. That's Nutrafol.com slash scalp, promo code Will Cole for $10 off your first scalp care order. Our mind and brain are always changing and so is our body. We're making, as you know, 800,000 to a million new cells every second. Our DNA is changing, our telomeres are changing, our neurophysiology, our biochemistry. In any one moment, we are changing. So if that's the case, what drives the change? If you did, no change is happening. So the, the thing that's driving change, and you'll see my point in a moment now as I link this into the neurocycle, is the thing that's driving off physiology and us being able to be alive is our mind. A dead person doesn't have a mind operating and making the brain and body function. So therefore, mind is this driving force that makes all the physiology function and neurophysiology function. And it's also the part of us that enables us to experience life. So it's a huge force and it's the number one force that if your mind when you sit with your patients it's your mind that listens to them your mind that processes their problem their mind that describes their problem and together your minds are connecting and solving the problem and your brain and body are being used to do that process so that understanding is why the neurocycle is so 
vital because it deals with the first thing, which is mind. Let me get my mind right so that I can listen to people like Dr. Will to get my nutrition right, to find all the elements in my body that have been pretty much damaged by the experiences of life from whatever angle you look at it. So the neurocycle then it's teaching you about mind, mind management. So it's the tool of how we manage our mind with its main goal being self-regulation. And so it's a it's a five-part process, the system that you go through, and um, it's got a preparation phase. So we're all familiar with breathing and meditation and mindfulness and all that great stuff. Those are fantastic for creating general awareness, but they and you've got to do those in whichever combination you want. And then I give offer many many ways of doing that in my books and my app and in the new book. But the, once your brain is prepared, you then have to go beyond the mindfulness state, beyond that brain preparation and do the work. So the gather awareness is actually those four signals. So the signal question you asked me earlier on would be the first thing that you do after brain preparation. Okay. So then you would go to reflect, write, recheck, active reach. So let me give you an analogy. Let's think of flying a plane. Maybe you're not flying a plane, but we all understand planes fly. We all also know that there's a lot of, they don't just take off. There's a whole lot of preparation that the pilot, co-pilot, engineer, ground control, etc. There's a lot of preparation that goes into the plane taking off. So think of that preparation as being the equivalent of your brain preparation. So before I do any kind of mind management, my child comes home from school and they're freaking out and they're kicking the seat in the car and throwing a tantrum. They're not going to listen to any kind of mind, fancy mind stuff. But so you need to, you need to do some brain preparation first. You need to get them calm first. So that could be breathing. It could be something like, okay, let's count five things we can see, four things we can smell, three things. You know, it's, it's those kinds of things that get you into a state that's preparedness. Now yeah. you're going to take, then the plane needs to take off. Then you need to fly the plane and then you need to land the plane. Taking off is the gather awareness. So brain preparation has created a general awareness and it's a calming thing. But if you stay there, you'll get worse. And that's what the research shows. Well, is it mm. people just do mindfulness and meditation and become very aware and present in the moment, but they don't then do something with what they've become presently aware of in the moment, it goes back into the non-conscious mind and can actually have a negative impact on you because you can mm. be kind of helpless. Then you then the preparation becomes a band-aid instead of a tuning in process because the preparation tunes in, but if it's incorrectly used, it's a band-aid and it actually goes works against you. It's counterproductive. So it's kind of like if I just take, prepare the plane and I don't do anything else, the plane's just going to stay on the ground. I don't progress. But if I prepare the plane and I also now take off, gather awareness is taking off. It's focusing on those four signals. What am I feeling? What are, what are my behaviors? What are my see, bodily sensations? What are my perspectives? How are they all linked? That's gathering. Gathering is specific. It's focus. It's not general awareness. I'm focusing in. I'm honing in now on very specifics. I'm taking off. If I stop there, and I if I'm a pilot and I just take off, but I don't know how to fly, I'm going to crash the plane. So now we have to fly the plane. And step two is flying the plane. It's the processing element. I've gathered awareness of these signals. Now I'm going to reflect. Why do I have these emotions? Or why does my child have these emotions? Why is it interesting that it's linking to this, that when they have that emotion, they always seem to have this pain in their body. And then they, then they have nightmares that night. And then the next day they wake up and life just sucks for them. So you start reflecting. You start getting more detail about those signals. You start pondering on the whys, the whens, the hows, and then you get you capture that and in a written format. In the first two steps, you're taking, so the first step you're taking off, and the second step you're starting to fly the plane. In brain terms, you've activated the network that this is um, that this experience 
that, that is generating the signals is in. So you've activated a tree-like structure in your brain. You've activated a response in your cells of your body. You've activated your mind. Okay, so your mind activates your mind. So your mind's got two levels. It's the sort of driving part, and then it's the part that experiences, the experiential part, and then there's the driving part. So by doing those preparation in the first two steps, you've activated this incredible neurophysiology and you've now prepared yourself for neuroplasticity or directed change. So now I can start thinking, okay, well, this is, you know, I can need to make sense of this and change it. So I've created that state. The third step helps you to dig down deep and to start finding the cause, the source, the origin to get to the acceptance and all that kind of stuff. So it's opening the doorway. And so, and, and what you do with this is you you basically write down, but you don't journal. Try not journal in fancy lines. You can journal at another point, but not at this point. At this point, it's a mind dump. You just write down, draw pictures. If your child's not yet literate, like a two-year-old, draw pictures. You can use a toy. We've created a little character called Brainy, and there's a little toy. Yes, I, I heard about Brainy in the book. I saw yeah. him. <laughs> so it's brain, yeah. So it's, it's a cartoon character that we've developed as a superhero who walks the mental health journey with your child, with you and your child. So this this cartoon character has a superpower called the neurocycle, and so everything that I'm telling you now, like trees in the brain and then this fancy mind brain body network and all and and these steps of the neurocycle, Brainy walks you through in in cartoon form. So there's the cartoon version, there's the description for the parent, and then there's all words for the child and then age appropriate. We've even got a coloring book well, where you've got we've got Brainy and Friends. Can you see oh. that? You've got to get it out of this blurry thing. So it's Brainy. Yeah. Can you see it yet? Oh. Yeah, I can see it. Okay. So it's Brainy and Friends and it's different scenarios. Like if you someone's fighting with you or bullying you and then the child can color that in it becomes a point of contact. The big thing with kids is to create a point of contact that they can feel a safe space where they can start working through these issues. So I'll talk about point of contact in a minute. Let me quickly finish the neuroscience. Yeah, sure. You basically write it all down. So if your child's not literate, that's when you can bring in Brainy and you can get them, do you know what you want to show me? Or you could say, hey, I see Brainy's got a sore tummy and Brainy's kicking everything and Brainy. So you kind of transfer what the child's doing to the toy and you want to say, why is Brainy so sad today? And you hand the toy to the child. You don't have to use Brainy. You can use any toy. It's just kids respond very well to brain and you're teaching them empowerment. My brain doesn't control me because so much of the messaging with mental health today is that, oh, the reason that you are depressed is because there's a problem with your brain. That is so unscientific, so right. lovely to hear. Oh, it's not me. It's my brain, but it's not accurate science. It's not, ac it's not good for the, in the long run for a person. So here I wanted to subtly help a child realize that, oh, I control this brain. I'm controlling brain. So the third step is either this enactment or drawing, visualization. You can even sell a child. They all know, even a two-year-old knows about an iPhone's camera, video camera. They know how to press video. Even that, if a child's not literate, you can say, let's make a movie. Let's pretend, let's look through the phone. You can even put it on video, hold it up and look in a mirror and say, let's look at what's going on. And these are like basic tools that help a child to what we call in the brain, collapse the wave. So there's all this energy that the mind has taken from the experience that the child has had and put that into the brain and it and it basically collapsed into these networks. So what we do now is we are, by this exercise, we're generating another wave that is literally pulling up this thought and now this, it's pulling this thought apart. So it's kind of collapsing all over and pulling this, making this thought weak, if you can visualize that. So mm -hmm. and children understand this, the analogies that I'm using when you do this, you're pushing this healthy wave in and it's breaking up the branches and we can start looking at the root and we can heal the root because you can never take that, that thought tree out. And that thought tree is the experience that they've had that's making them show up. But you can change what it looks like. 
And this is where you can go into a garden with a child and you can show them beautiful looking trees and maybe trees that have lost all their leaves. And so that's a sad experience, like when someone teased you at school and that's a happy one when you went to that birthday party or whatever. Kids respond mm-hmm. to that. And so those thought trees are what's, what are in our brain and every experience that we have, everything we go through goes in our brain. And if it's a sad one, it makes us feel sad. And and, and we and we control it by talking about our emotions and you know all this kind of languaging. So that's what the, all this stuff that I'm saying is in the book. So that's mm-hmm. all the padding around the neurocycle. So this third step is where you just write everything down. You just dump it all down. And that really opens up and helps you to get down to the root cause. Things will come up that you didn't even think were associated. Your kids will say things. You'll even, when you do it with yourself, things will pop out of your mind, non-conscious mind, into consciousness that you didn't see as a relation some sort of association but they are so what you do is don't don't eliminate anything that comes up grab whatever then in the fourth step you look at what you've written and you look together or you discuss the visualization or you discuss the little enactment or the pictures that are drawn and it's rechecking this has happened what can we do about it i see this and you describe and you talk look for patterns antidotes that kind of thing i'll give you lots of examples in the book for how to do it little phrases you can use scenarios that i've built for you and then the fifth step is a little action okay this is what we this i see that you're very sad today because someone stole your lunch at school and they're stealing it every day that's why you've been so sad that's wrong what's happened we're going and you've gone through the whole thing and your little action would be okay so what can we do today to make you feel happier right now and it may be something like giving me a hug it may be something like can you talk to my teacher so they don't steal my lunch it's some kind of plan of action that helps you deal in the moment sometimes it's a nice solid thing like okay we're going to talk to the teacher sometimes it's just i'm okay for now and we'll get back to this again tomorrow the point is it's cyclical and when you do the active reach you land the plane now you Mm -hmm. and i both know from the biology of the body that our body biochemistry works in cycles of tension release and all the different things build and so this concept of cyclic motion of everything also works in the mind. So the neurocycle is a cycle and you go through these cycles. You can do this in, in a minute. You can do it in five minutes. You can do it in 15. You can do it in 45. The whole point is that you, if there's a pattern, you go through the cycle in this in the ways that I give you ideas in the book. And then if it's a pattern that's occurring often, one neurocycle won't fix it. And I have to stress that. But before I dive into that, did you want me to, do you want to ask me any questions or clarify? Yeah. So some- how... Absolutely. And and you, te- what I love in the book is how you take us through the different age groups, right? To make it age appropriate and what for all the steps, but the active reach is definitely one where you, you give us practical ways to teach our kids resilience, to strengthen these thought trees in their, in their body and in, in their nervous system. Running the telehealth center, consulting patients throughout the day, almost every case, I can't even think of an exception, we're always integrating with mental health care experts, either people within the team or many times referring out for licensed therapists when it's needed. And something that we've recommended for a long time is something called Talkspace. Just as we are in telehealth within the functional medicine space, Talkspace are pioneers in talk therapy as far as telehealth is concerned. It's therapy done via telehealth, via telemedicine. Talkspace has made getting the help you want easy, accessible, and affordable. When you've met your therapy goals or simply want to cancel, Talkspace has a simple cancellation process and will work with you to get a prorated refund for any unused time if applicable. 
At Talkspace.com, you can sign up online and get a personalized match with the provider that's right for you, typically within just 48 hours. It's incredibly convenient to have virtual sessions with your licensed therapist from the comfort of your home or at work out on your lunch break. There's no need to commute to appointments, miss time at work, or line up childcare in order to attend sessions. It's mental health care made very easy. Talkspace lets you send messages to your therapist. You don't have to wait for your next session. Talkspace can help with any specific challenges you might be facing or just want to optimize your mental health. It doesn't have to be a specific problem. It's the number one online therapy platform with licensed therapists in over 40 specialties, including anxiety, depression, substance abuse, relationship issues, and so much more. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get $80 off your first month of Talkspace when you go to Talkspace.com slash ABW. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash ABW to get $80 off of your first month and show your support for The Art of Being Well. That's Talkspace.com slash ABW. How long, you mentioned one neurocycle is not enough. So I know this is an individual question with individual answers, but generally speaking, I know you've done research on this. How long does this typically take people to be consistent with this process, this neurocycle process? It's going to take a great question, Will, because it's going to take at least, and, and everyone falls over when I say this, but it's going to take at least nine week, weeks for behavior change to happen. So, so what we see stabilized behavior change and not even behavior, it's not just the behavior, it's because behaviors go with emotions and everything. So for a person to feel that they can, that they are coping in whatever, whatever that looks like for the person, it will take at least nine weeks, 60, somewhere between 59 and 66 days. And that's also depending on the complexity. So in some cases where there's maybe been extreme trauma, like child abuse, sexual abuse, severe mm-hmm. bullying for a period of time, where it's big stuff, that could take multiple cycles because it's going to have pervaded many areas of the life of their life. So, for example, I've had people that have had years of sexual abuse when I was practicing, and it's taken up to two years, which is about twelve neurocycles of consistently working. Each time you do a neurocycle, you're progressing forward. That's the good news. So, when it comes to children, I have a whole chapter on the timing. Is to think it, to think of it this way: in the moment, if your kids have a little argument. You can use a neurocycle in the moment to tone it down. So that's just one neurocycle. If there's a pattern that's occurring between two siblings that is now consistent and it's affecting their behavior, their functioning, how they're showing up, and it's affecting the family, then as soon as you have a pattern, you're looking at more than one neurocycle. You're definitely looking at probably a full, full, full 63 days before all of it's resolved because it's complex behavior. If there's a one or two fights or the normal up and down sibling rivalry, we're not talking, we're talking about even, even issues starting to develop. So anything that has a pattern that is established, that's disruptive, you're going to need that time frame. And I'm doing a big study currently at the moment as well, where we're looking at in depth at this time frame. I've just published another paper in, in the neurophysiology physiology journals, just showing that you have more evidence of how this, because I look at the mind, brain, and body of how we need this amount of time and why. That's because the brain works with chemicals and proteins and energy and so does the body and all the cells. Things don't just change overnight. Change is always happening. But for change to actually fully happen and then to stabilize, that's what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. So our experiences of life 
built into our brain. If it built in, if a child's being bullied persistently over a period of three months or something or a month, or that's enough to establish an experience that's pretty solid because it's such an emotive and it's such a, 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 a big thing. And it'll, so it, it may even have been one week. That's enough to have created a trauma. And so that trauma would have become very solidly wired into the networks. And that's what drives us. And I'm talking about my mind body network. That's what drives us. So we can know it's wrong. We can know that we that, that our parents can tell us things like it's okay, we'll handle it, it'll go away, it's not so bad, whatever, whatever. But that that's not going to fix it. You the child in themselves needs to be empowered to be able to mm -hmm. do the, the damage that that has caused to their identity and that kind of thing. So that takes a lot of rewiring. And that's the thing that takes the time. You don't have to spend hours on this. You can spend like five minutes, you can spend 15 minutes. I wouldn't do more than 45 max in any one day. Some days you're going to do one minute. Some days you're going to do 45 minutes. So you okay. go, you know, some days you'll do nothing because, you know, there's just too busy and things don't happen. Some days you'll do step one. Some days you'll do all five steps. So you, you've got to have a lot more flexibility with a child. Mm -hmm. And the best way to demonstrate this, as I said, is, is with us as adults. So if you're working through something, and you demonstrate that to the child. And there's a very easy way of doing this, but I know you have a question. Yeah. Something that I, the chapter that you have in the book about trauma and something that I ask every telehealth patient is we go over an ACE score, an adverse childhood yes. event experiences, which we know trauma, childhood trauma increases likelihood of different autoimmune issues. And of course, mental health issues and other inflammatory problems. So what's the connection about with trauma and this? You mentioned some of this could be more complex for some people. And maybe even we hear that word thrown around so much, I guess, flippantly oftentimes of trauma. What are we talking about specifically with this? And I, I've heard people in this space talk about big T, little T trauma. Could you kind of decode that for the listener so they actually know what we're talking about? I'm so glad you asked that question because it's actually an article that was that came up yesterday and um, I think it was on Apple News somewhere about how trauma has been, the word trauma has been so kind of like messed with. So yeah. um, uh, the easiest way to explain this at will is to look at it on a scale of one to 10. So if you think of one, two, and three would be your daily issues, like daily struggles, a normal little fight with a sibling or maybe a little argument with a spouse or an irritating traffic or an irritating email or just someone at school who just bugs you or a teacher who's in a bad mood and it affects you slightly. So it's 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 not that was, it's not a huge thing. It's still a thing. It still affects you. You still feel it, but it's not something that's going to throw you off forever. Even those are spoken about in the current language of, oh, I've been traumatized. Oh, you're traumatizing me. It's 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 thrown out there so much. So I, I'm so glad you asked this because we really do need to respect the word trauma and see what it's linked to. So think of the scale. One, two, and three is not trauma. Four, five, six, seven is also not trauma, but could progress. So we're in a set of four, five, six, seven. So what are we talking about there? We're talking about the patterns that we're starting to develop that are maybe coming from a bad habit or maybe coming from, so not any trauma in your life, just something that you you reacted to a situation and you just kind of got in the habit of doing that. So maybe an irritating person at work or just a way that you respond to a spouse or you know habits that maybe just a bad eating plan or just a way of responding that is, you know, on the four or five, but you don't deal with it. So it starts becoming pervasive because it's kind of negative. And it starts disrupting various parts of your life. So it starts growing into a four, five, six. Those are still not trauma, 
but they could start traumatizing other people because your behavior could becoming aggressive. You could mm -hmm. be those that little part of the scale is very much, you know, the habits that we potentially are traumatizing others or being having an impact on others. And maybe not even necessarily traumatizing others because, you know, it's, I shouldn't have really have used that word. It's more having an impact on others. And we need to judge that impact and say, okay, well, this is affecting my communication with my loved one or whatever. I need to dial back and I need to see why I'm doing this and where did this habit come from? Trauma is in the eight, nine, ten, and even a bit of the seven, because seven could be something that develops, like for example, if you have someone who's developing narcissistic tendencies and in a relationship and that's starting to you create a coping mechanism and that coping mechanism isn't sustainable and you start getting traumatized so not so living with a narcissistic person is definitely a level of trauma so someone might just start with a few and or you may not know that person long and the longer you know them it starts shifting does that make sense so there's a shift yeah. that's happening. but really we should really only talk about trauma in the eight nine ten, and that's mm -hmm. the consistent bullying the physical abuse the mental abuse the war combat the endless things that the ACE is the emotional deprivation in a child where a parent doesn't give the child this, the, the sort of identity support or doesn't acknowledge or is very harsh and their discipline loves them, but they didn't connect with their child. That would definitely be where the inner child wasn't developed, wherever the inner child was stunted in their growth. And very often those traumas, which will persist through, those parents love their child, but they could be coming into parenting with so much of their own baggage. And so that so we've got to look at those kind of traumas, seven, eight, nine, tens in um, as being real traumas. And we've also got to look at when we deal with the ACE and we see the impact of parenting. I want to just throw in a little thing here. As a parent, both of us are parents. We are going to mess up our kids. That's part of messy parenting, because unfortunately we were messed up by our parents. And some mess are messed up a lot more than others. But there's an average level of kind of messiness because your parents and my parents will both came to their, their parenting with their baggage and their new baggage as they came together. So we have the right to honor the impact of our parenting, which doesn't dishonor our parents. It's we recognize that they were someone's daughter and son, so they've got their issues. But you do have the right to work on your own issues because there's often a lot of conflict there where someone says, I don't want to blame my parents. They were doing their best. Yes, they were doing their best. And you and it's lovely you say that, but you still have the right to work on your stuff. So mm -hmm. it's great that you do do the ACEs because sometimes it will be something as small as an example I'll give you of a, of a trauma that was so unintentional but became such a bad trauma in a child's life was a patient of mine and I were obviously keeping neutral whatever the and this particular person was a came from a big family and the there were three boys and the father was very much boy focused love didn't love the girl any less but there was so much attention on ball games and boy stuff and so this child from very young to get the father's attention became like a boy so mm -hmm. you know, like it's realized that the only way that i can get his attention and one day this little four-year-old was sitting at a dinner and friends came in and they were eating dinner and whatever and the friend didn't hadn't met the young child was an old friend and turned to this child and said what a cute little boy now that point, that little girl was very proud of her girlness, and but at that point she realized, okay, well, unless I change who I am, I'm useless. And her identity got shot, and she went into downward spiral, landing up with, I mean, such trauma, body image trauma, terrible, I mean, terrible, like kind of you know, suicidal, like really bad. And it's when when we did the work, it came back to that point in time that was the pivot point where this child's identity was 
let's put aside the male female that who she was as a person was not good enough for her father in her eyes once they found that out and they talked it through the healing happened but that impacted her so that's an example that's quite extreme because the response that that this particular person went through from from that day right the way through to the 30s was very extreme and one thing just made it worse than another Mm-hmm. There's an example of something that that's why another reason why I wrote this book will is because I know that that was an unintentional thing, but it had such a huge impact on that child's mm-hmm. life in terms yeah. of how that person saw themselves. And so this is why we can be give our children tools from young to say, hey, what you said actually traumatized me, mm-hmm. you know, and they don't have maybe have the words trauma, but if a child can go and say, hey, mommy, this when you said that it made me so sad. If we can have the space that can allow the child to say why that what you said but you thought was like such a mild thing right because we can't ever assume to understand our child's experiences or any other person because you can only understand your own then giving that child a safe space to be able to talk about that so i know that's a long answer but i love it yeah and right so much of it is how the person experiences it and i've heard stories from telehealth patients where they'll say they've gotten maybe plastic surgery later on in life based off of something that someone said, I had one, I'm thinking of one story specifically where they got all this plastic surgery done, which people can do it for whatever reasons, right? But for her, a major reason was she was always told she, I think it was her nose, like people would make fun of her nose. She went and told, it came up in conversation that her grandma would always make comments about her nose. Her grandma didn't even remember saying it, but yet it, stuck in her so deeply that she went and changed her face and the way she looked based off of something her grandma didn't even think of it. And it's amazing what the power of our words can do. And what you're saying here is like you talk about in the book, having creating a mental health haven, like as parents or as caretakers or just as people, because as trauma can be inherited, so can healing, right? I mean, we can, I see people every day break the cycles of dysfunction and dysregulation and disorder and heal not only themselves, but also heal their family and heal, even if they don't have kids, heal their friend group. And I think of just the generational legacy that they're setting, they're breaking cycles, they're breaking curses and sometimes, and really can pass this on to their, for generations they'll, they'll never get to see, right? Absolutely. Well, it's the whole concept of epigenetics. You know, we pass through things through the sperm and the ova, which is the sort of biological side, but it comes through in our mind as well. So the way we nurture the children and so on, it all it passes through the generation. So we don't have to, and that's the beauty of of the network. You can't change what's happened, but you can change what it looks like inside of you. And mm-hmm. if we understand that our mind brain body network is where the trauma is stored. If it's if it's the eight nine ten stuff, and even the bad habits, that's where they stored, and even the day to day stuff, everything is stored in your networks, and that's what drives you as a person. So if we can give ourselves and our kids the tools to be able to read the signals, read those, and get to the point where we can get to acceptance. I mean, like for example, you talk about that situation. There's a situation of of I think we're calling a patient of mine who was abused for years and years and years, but really horrific. And there's a story in the book of a child. Of a, did you? I don't know if you read the story of that little boy who was from the age of three months was physically and sexually abused. I mean, how? You you don't even know what. How does a person do that? Part of that child's healing when that child's older and that child's in the, the whole story is in the book. But part of that, and I'm thinking of a couple of my patients as well, is acceptance of you're never going to know why someone would do that to you. Mm-hmm. Someone that you trust and care for would hurt you like that. So part of your healing is to grieve 
to be depressed, to be sad, to be anxious, to be all those things, because those are those emotions are signals, they're not illnesses, and they help you to process. If I hold it, if you think of those old scales where you've got, you know, people still use them now, you know, you put cheese on one side and then, you know, you're weighing the, whatever in the balance to get the right amount. Think of your, all of our experiences in these scales and things like the, the, the things like the depression, anxiety, which are emotional warning signals, not illnesses, they're good for you. Jealousy, envy, these things are part of your psyche when they balance. When they balance, if you have a burst of envy, for example, immediately you think, oh, that's bad. Well, it's destructive if you don't know what to do with it. But if you say, okay, I'm feeling envy, why? And you go through a neurocycle and you find out why, you can solve a problem that can stop you being envious and translating that into full-blown jealousy, which affects the relationship, which is very destructive to your brain and body, your autoimmune system, your autoimmune, I mean, your immune system is going to be affected, everything. So here I'm saying, is like, let's have a look at this thing in a different way. Let's see depression, mm -hmm. anxiety, all these things. Let's look at things as signals, as information. Yeah as opposed to symptoms to eliminate. Look, look at them as signals to embrace, to find the message behind them and teach mm. kids from two years of age. Yeah, wow. The see emotions as signals, check engine lights, not as illnesses and pathologizing them. It's a beautiful message that I think, I mean, I'm just thinking of the profundity of if they taught your method in school, what this could do. Right. I mean, is that isn't that the dream, right? To get it's, this in and I have done it in schools in South Africa. I worked for years in schools and I would teach them how to use the neurocycle. Initially I developed it for people with traumatic brain injury to teach them how to rebuild the brain. So you can use the same five steps to rebuild the brain and to focus in on like learning at school, learning, learning knowledge. Mm -hmm. It's it's a it's a tool for learning. It's brilliant yeah. how stuff in the brain. Also for resilience in terms of if you have a great memory of maybe a birthday party or a visit or great memories of your dad. You want to go and hone in on those and build those because those create resilience. Mm -hmm. So initially I developed it for that. And then I saw the emotions, well, not emotions, it's just one part of it. Then I saw how it could help with people with their mental health. So I built that in. So I had a lot of schools in South Africa using it as a parallel system. And we had school, we had transformation in schools. And I worked in the poorly performing areas, which in South Africa at the time from the post-apartheid legacy were the schools that were totally neglected. They had nothing. So I'd go into those schools and I would teach them how to help the kids learn how to learn. And I'd also help them work on the emotional side. And it's a, there's a huge difference. I've done working charter schools in this country as well, where we saw dramatic in changes in academic schools and emotional, mental health and wellness when we worked on these systems consistently. But it requires a shift. So, well, it requires a complete different way of approaching things. And yeah. To bureaucracy and stuff so it's it's a ground it's a grassroots movement so we can get yes. parents and equip the children eventually that filters through to the top layers right well said as you know my friend the podcast is called the art of being well at the end of every episode we have your art of being well i don't think we did this last time for you this happened at we started this after your first time on the podcast for people go back and listen to dr lee's first episode but we may have done it i forget the, I, these will be different questions regardless but first question is this is Dr. Leaf's Art of Being Well. What is the worst tasting healthy food that you still eat? It tastes disgusting, but you eat it because it's it's good for you. It has some science as far as health benefits. Gosh, I'm trying to think of one. Maybe you don't some people don't have any and they love everything that they eat. Yeah, I think that I found I found a palette of food that I like. So I'm really battling to find one that I don't like. 
because everything's you know food has been so there's so many great things you can get your nutrition from so i have to, i don't know well you'd have to help a- <laughs> <laughs> no i love it and that's that's amazing that you found food that loves you back that you also love what are let's just say two supplements if you take supplements but what are two that have been the biggest supporters for your health personally I love the magnesium. I think it's incredible that, and then a good. I think an, you can't go wrong with a really excellent multivitamin that's got your B twelves and all your your do Ds and things because we just don't get enough of it, even if you're eating a really great diet. So I'm, I'm very pro of excellent, good bioavailable multivitamin. It's got your fish oils and things in it, preferably, and definitely magnesium. Love it. What is your ideal vacation? Talk about self care. Anywhere in the world, what's your dream vacation? Definitely being in an environment where it's like, I love being by the sea. I live by the sea. So it's even that still, but being in a in a beautiful hotel or something where it's quiet and calm and there are not too many people around and I can just walk and read and just be with my family. Beauties like mountains, sea, anything that I'm looking at nature, that's beautiful. And beautiful, yeah. I like a beautiful hotel. I'm really that's a big thing. Beautiful hotel, beautiful environment, and totally relaxing. A lot of reading, a lot of just walking. I love it. What's your favorite natural scent? Something from nature. What's your favorite natural scent? Roses, without a doubt. I'm obsessed with the smell of roses. I have to always have roses in my home. Love it. If you had to eat one food for the rest of your life, regardless of health benefits, throw health benefits aside purely on taste alone, what would that food be for you? Gosh, that's, that's always, it's funny me asking me this because our family was doing this the other day. And we were all seeing what, we all ended up with Italian food. It was something Italian. It's got to be that pasta or that pizza or something like really, with a, you know, with a good, healthy ground of, you know, milled flowers and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Probably it would be something like that. I love it. What's your, well, speaking of that, what's your favorite restaurant in the world? And when you're there, what do you order? I have so many because we love, we travel quite extensively. But it, we, we always end up landing up at some Italian restaurant. I'll be honest with you. It's Italian food. And I do love Greek food as well. So that's. Greek food is wonderful. To, oh my gosh. The yogurt and things are just the best. <laughs> yeah. Do you have a favorite that you love in a certain city or anything come to mind? Restaurant is, I think it's called Mil- Milano's. It's, it's throughout Europe. That's one of my favorites. And then, do you know, good old Le Pen, which is throughout Europe and some of the states, United States. I love their food as well. Love it. I'm curious. I don't know if I've ever asked you this before, offline or online. But uh, do you know what enneagram you are? I don't. Haven't ever done that. No, because because You've I never. Oh, no, because I do the whole research around um, um, identity. I've developed my own profile, so I've never actually. I don't really subscribe to the kind of concept science. I'm not. I'm not too. I, I sound so nerdy here, but I'm not too thrilled with the science. And just so, what, no, let's talk about it. So what? You don't feel like it. Do you have a neurocycle profiling that you do from your yes. end? Okay, got it. Building, we actually building that into our app because you've got that neurocycle app, but I've got a profile that I, it's a sort of more of a, if, a we've got two. There's a validation scale that I've developed, which we used for people to develop, to understand their self, how they self-regulate. And that's linked to mind management and that's already available it's in our app. And then I have a profile called the gift profile and the UQ, which is a unique quotient profile. And that's all, it's not a, you're not a type because you can't be a type. In, my, in, in the research I've done, you can't be a type because you are type you. There's no other world on this planet. So it doesn't matter if I categorize you 
anything like an Enneagram or Discus or Myers-Briggs, all that they're going to, in my, in my opinion, is give you this certain generic descriptions of who you are, but mm-hmm. you've put flavor onto that. So I'd rather look at, look at someone's customized thinking. How do you uniquely think, feel, and choose? Mm-hmm. And how does that play out into your life? And to understand your customized thinking and then to understand how that develops over time. So mm-hmm. therefore, there's no categories in, in the profiles I do. And it grew out of the need when I was working with patients back in the way back when I started research and studying and things, it was in the eighties and I wasn't very happy with the kinds of sort of tools that we had at that stage and they were very limiting. So I wanted to be able to get people to understand, help people understand how they think and how they feel, how they choose, how their mind works. And so this profile, these profiles developed out of that. And the initial one had a thousand questions, which is fine on a therapeutic level, but I've simplified that down now down to 70 questions. And we're building that into our app and we've got a children's version and it's really cool. It really helps you tune into yourself. Well, you had me at there's only one will in the world. So I, that's, I I love that. And I hear you. There's so much complexity and nuance and, and spectrum, right. Of, of different variables. So I guess that's a good place to, to wrap it up is where can people go? I, I, I want people to check out the app, get the book. Where do they go? What's the name for everything? And where do they go to find it? Well, the book's available wherever books are sold as you know, and that's the, the this is the new book, How to Help Your Child Clean Up Their Mental Mess. My, probably my social media is the easiest, Dr. Caroline Leaf, because you can just get away from there. All the details of the book are there as well and of my other stuff. My website's drleaf.com. And then you've been on my podcast, Cleaning Up the Mental Mess, and you've just been on there recently. People should go listen to it. It was a fabulous interview. Thank you. My friend, this has been amazing. Thank you, as always, for coming and talking with me. Oh, thank you so much. I always love talking to you. Thank you for the great work you do. Thanks again for listening to The Art of Being Well. If you have a chance, please rate and review the podcast here. And if you like what you're hearing, hit follow and pass it along to a friend. To see more, head to drwillcole.com slash podcast. I'll be back again next Thursday, and I hope you will too. Talk soon. note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.